Seacoast Church began 28 years ago. That's 28 years of helping people find God, grow their faith, discover their purpose, and make a difference. A lot has changed in nearly three decades, but some things remain the same. We are still committed to serving every person who walks through our doors. We are still committed to being active members of our communities, our cities. How will you be a part of this story? Let's take a look at how you can make a difference. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. I want to welcome you. I'm glad that you guys are here. Normally, this is a time where we welcome all of our campuses, but the campus pastors are all speaking live this weekend, so we're all on our own. We can do whatever we want this weekend. So it's going to be awesome. We're just going to break all the rules. Uh, do want to welcome you if you're online. Uh, we're glad that you're here too, but I'm excited. I feel like God's got a word for us here uh, at the Mount Pleasant campus and looking forward to our time together. A question for you as we get started. Have you ever questioned your ability to really make a difference? Have you ever had thoughts like, I mean, really, how much change can one person really affect? I know I was in line even to vote a couple weeks ago, and the line where I was went all the way outside of the building and around the parking lot, and I just even looking at the line thought, does, does my vote really matter? You know, I mean, seriously, I know it's the right thing to do, and I did, and you should, but do you ever just wonder, you know, sometimes it feels like doing our part to make a difference, it's like throwing a rock into the ocean to make waves. It's just there's so much need and there's so many people. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever questioned my ability to make a difference. This week, I had a chance to go to Haiti uh, for a few days with several pastors, and I wanna tell you a little bit about the trip. It was super cool. I'd encourage you, if you've never done that, if you've never gone away for a week or so on a mission trip, I'd encourage you to think about doing that. It's just good for your soul if nothing else. It's good that we got some mission trip lovers here. It's just a good thing to do, and it was. I mean, I came home just feeling like, man, this is, this is good. This is good to do. Uh, but but I, I met a guy while I was down in Haiti. His name is Pastor Samuel. I brought a picture of him. Um, this is not Pastor Samuel. This is the, the longer bearded Josh, but this is Pastor Samuel. Great guy, uh, just a super, super guy. Pastor Samuel, when he moved into his neighborhood in Haiti, it was much like every other neighborhood in Haiti, or most of them anyways. It was characterized by uh, hopelessness, poverty, uh, despair, not a, lot of, not a lot of hope coming from this place, a lot of need, a lot of challenge. And then you had the earthquake back in 2010 that just devastated the community. So, so it was like piling on an already bad situation, and now you've got just hundreds of kids without parents that have been orphaned and just all this need. And so th then comes Pastor Samuel. And he, he comes into the neighborhood and he decides the first thing he's gonna do is he's gonna plant a little church. Just, uh, plant a church. And, and so he began to do that and he planted this church and uh, another friend of mine actually preached for Pastor Samuel one weekend and he asked him, hey, what do you want me to talk about at your church? And Pastor Samuel said, you can talk about one of three things, faith, hope, and vision. That's all, I don't, talk, don't talk about anything. That's what they, they need to hear, faith, hope, and vision. The people that live in this community need to know that with faith, with Christ, that there can be a better tomorrow, that their future can be better, there can be vision for more. He said, just talk about that. And so that's what Pastor Samuel did, day in, day out. He would show up into the community, he would talk about hope, and he'd talk about vision, and he'd give them hope for the future. Then there was a school that was reaching about 50 students and I, they, the building was still there. It's like a lean-to shack, basically, where they would do school. And so Pastor Samuel began to, to focus there and to speak hope and faith and vision into the school. And you fast forward to today and it's remarkable what's happened. 
His little church that he planted has 1,200 people every weekend that are coming. They've built this great little building that they're meeting in and they're doing incredible things for the community. The school now has four different building structures. There was construction going on now for a vocational wing that they're gonna start. They've got 800 students that are now enrolled in the school and there's 800 on a waiting list to get in. And the school was for children who are in poverty. Now the wealthiest families have their kids on waiting lists to try to get into this school because of how awesome it is and how great it is. Literally a couple months before I was there, the San Francisco 49ers, who can't play football, but apparently they do care about some things. Uh, but, but they were there to see. They, they, they had heard. They wanted to, to find out what was going on in this community. You've got other nations have come to go, man, let's study what's happening here because this is remarkable what's going on. Churches have been blown away. And I mean, I, I left just going, my goodness, it's amazing how much change is happening. We got into the car and we were going to the next place and one of the people that was with us, we were just kind of processing together and he said, you know what's interesting? Pastor Samuel is literally changing the data of that community. It's changing the data. The statistics are changing. And it's true, you, you don't, I mean, anywhere we went, you saw a lot of poverty, a lot of hopelessness, and, and you would almost be like, man, I wish there was more we could do, but not there. There you looked and we, we were able to feed these kids, and so when I talk about changing data, that doesn't feel very emotionally, but it is, it is for me because it was these kids' faces, and it's like I believe some of the future leaders of this country who may help turn around this country are in this school right now. It's not full of despair. It's full of hope and vision and faith, literally changing the data in the community. Well, I was inspired by Pastor Samuel, I got on the plane coming home and really feel like the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, that's my heart for Seacoast too. That we would change the data. That, that we wouldn't just be a church that because we opened up and put a sign up, some Christians would come in and, and, and find a cool place to worship, but that we would be a church that would literally change the statistics in the communities that we're in. I believe that's God's plan and God's heart for us, but more personal than that. So what about you and me? Will I be the kind of person that changes the data in the places that God has planted me? If we believe that Acts is true where it says that, that God has set aside predetermined times and places where we would live, then, then wherever you happen to work or live, the neighborhood that you're in, God has planted you there so that you could potentially change the culture and change the story that's being written in that community. So we're in a series called Make a Difference, and, and I wanna talk for a few minutes about how do we become data changers? How do we do it? Most of you are like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that, but, but how, where do we start? If you have your Bibles, we need to open up to Luke chapter 10, and I want us to study one of the most famous passages, a story that has become synonymous with changing data for people's lives. It's become synonymous with helping other people. It's a story of the Good Samaritan. In fact, if you Google the Good Samaritan story, you'll see thousands and thousands of sermons that have been preached. You'll see dozens of hospitals that are called such and such Good Samaritan Hospital. You'll see lots of missions organizations. This story has inspired a lot of really cool things to happen. But I want us to look at it through the lens of how do we become data changers? How do we really uh, see the, the, the city and the community around us change through the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's, let's jump in. The first thing that we can learn, if I'm gonna change the data, I've got to be aware of my own blind spots. I've gotta be aware of my own blind spots. Did you know that you have some blind spots? 
You're like, how, how can I be aware of them? Literally, the definition of blind spot is like, I can't see them. Uh, the person sitting next to you probably knows what they are, so just ask them. Uh, I know some of you. I can share some uh, right now if you'd like me to. Uh, but, but we all have them, right? We all have these areas in our lives that, that are blind spots, that, that we don't necessarily know. They're, they're ways of thinking. They're biases maybe that we have that they just are inherent to how we think and how we act. And look at the story. The guy that, that approaches Jesus with a question, if, if you read it closely, beyond the surface, you'll see all kinds of blind spots. It says, one day an expert in religious law, there's your first clue of, of a potential blind spot. Anybody know an expert? You know what I'm talking about? The kind of people that when you're having a conversation, they have nothing to learn from you, you're just there to learn from them. You know, they've already figured everything out. They know the answers to all of the questions and nobody likes being around that person, but this is, this is an expert. He knows all there is to know about religious law. He stood up to test Jesus. There's another blind spot. Just don't, don't do that. That's a bad idea to test God, you know, uh, by, by asking him this question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? There's another clue to a blind spot. Think about that word inheritance. Who inherits things? People who are in relationship, right? I mean, if a, a, a parent or a grandparent passes away, an inheritance is something that's passed on from somebody who is in relationship with somebody else. Can you imagine being at a funeral of a loved one and, and, and you're processing together the grief and you're, you're honoring this person and then all of a sudden a stranger comes in and says, hey, uh, is this a good time to talk about the inheritance? Uh, is there a piece maybe that, that, that I could have? Like, that's just kind of an odd question for a stranger to ask, but he comes in going, hey, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus, knowing that he's an expert, said, why don't you tell me? What does the law of Moses say? How do you read this? And the man answers, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ding, ding, ding. Right, you got it, expert, good job. You knew the answer. So he asked the question, that he already knew the answer to. So Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. There's another blind spot. Some of us do this. I know I struggle with this sometimes. Do you ever read the Bible to justify your actions? It's like you're just reading, looking for something that lines up with the way that you're already living your life. And it's like, yeah, me and Jesus, we're on the same page here. It's not a good way to, to read the Bible. Oftentimes there's stuff God's wanting to, to, to communicate to us or to, 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 to highlight that needs to change, but he wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You know what he was really asking Jesus? Who isn't my neighbor? Who isn't my neighbor? Because I've got neighbors, right? I mean, Jesus, I've got this neighbor. Uh, we cheer for the same team. Uh, he brings the right kind of drinks to the party. He always shows up prepared and lets me borrow his tools. That's who you're talking about, right? That's my neighbor. But, but the, the guy catty corner from me that never does his yard and that's dog poops on the sidewalk and like that's not who you're talking about, right? That's, that's what's behind that question. He's, he's trying to figure out who don't I have to love in order to accomplish the law. He, he's got some blind spots. We all have blind spots, don't we? Have to be careful with them. Look at this next passage. It says a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs the heart. If we're gonna change the data, if we're gonna really be a part of, 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 of changing our community and of changing our workplace, we're gonna to have to acknowledge that we have some blind spots. There's some biases that we have that, that we need to be aware of and know that they could potentially keep us from accomplishing the work that God's called us 
to accomplish. Now, last week, Pastor Greg gave us homework. I don't know if you realize that, but last week's message had homework. I don't know if you remember. He said, I want you to spend some time with somebody who's different than you, who sees the world differently, maybe politically or maybe uh, socioeconomically or uh, racially, somebody who just sees the world different than you. And several of you have, have uh, shared, I just heard a story in, in the foyer of somebody who was like, I wanna tell you about what happened on my, my homework assignment this week. Well, I was in Haiti and one of the guys that was on the trip with me is a rapper. It may surprise you to know, I don't hang out with rappers all that often. It's just not, I just don't have many close friends who are rappers. And so this guy's in Atlanta and a great guy, believer, and, and he's a rapper. So we were driving to uh, one of the locations that we were gonna serve in. And I thought, you know what, I wanna, I wanna learn from, from you. And so I just began to have some conversations with him about politics, uh, about some of the, the divisions that are in our country right now. And we had an incredible conversation. And you know what, we didn't leave the conversation agreeing on everything or seeing things the same way, but I did leave the conversation realizing, man, I've got some things that, that I have prejudged motivations and behaviors that maybe aren't entirely true. There's some blind spots for me, and I think he probably left the conversation feeling the same way. Had a lot more respect and understanding for some different perspectives, just some blind spots that we just need to pay attention to. I'll ask it to you this way. Let's say you're, you're reading the, the newspaper or watching the news or reading online and you read a story. What, what groups of people do you read about online? And maybe you don't say it out loud, but what you say inside is, well, that's not a surprise. Of course they did. Oh yeah, that's, uh, yeah, go figure. What, what groups of people do you read about? Maybe that's your internal response. That might be a blind spot for you. That might be a bias that, that could prevent you from really being, because here's the deal about his, his blind spot. He wasn't even on the same page as Jesus. The question he asks about inheriting heaven, we're getting ready to read a story where Jesus said, you know what, we can talk about that, but let me tell you about how to bring heaven to earth. That's what Jesus was about. And, and so they, they, it just, our, our biases and our blind spots can, can really become a barrier for us to change the data in our city. So we have to be aware of our blind spots. Let's keep going. Second thought. We have to pay attention to the people around us. Pay attention to the people around us. Let's keep going in the story. So the question was, who is my neighbor? Then Jesus replies with this story. It says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Don't know if it was the middle of the night, don't know the story, but this Jewish man was, was traveling. He was attacked by bandits, and it, it was bad. They stripped him of all of his clothes, so he's now naked in the street. They beat him up and they left him half dead beside the road. So Jesus tells a story of this, this person who's in great need, desperate, hoping maybe somebody would show up to help. Well, good news, somebody showed up. And it was a priest, by chance a priest came along. Of all people, who would you rather show up than a priest, a pastor, someone who's gonna help, who's gonna be there for me? Priest comes along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and he, he walked on by. Totally ignored him. Didn't help him. This passage bothers me a lot. It scares me a little bit because that's me. That's, that's the pastor. That's the person who's supposed to be about what God is about. That's the person whose heart's supposed to be attuned to what Jesus is about. And he, he walks by. He's not the good guy in this story. He's not, he's not the right one. But thankfully, somebody else came. This is a temple assistant. This is, this is a church person. This is someone who's involved, who serves. This person walks over and looks at him lying there, but he also walked over to the other side 
and he passed on by. They weren't paying attention. They weren't paying attention. I don't know what happened. Why did they not stop? There could be all kinds of reasons. I don't know if maybe the priest was just, you know, texting and, you know, checking his fantasy football and, oh, wow, I didn't even, barely notice it, barely notice it, just distracted. We can be that way sometimes, can't we? Just distracted. So much going on, so many opportunities to get our attention. I had coffee with somebody the other day and I noticed when they came in, I had already got my coffee. They came in and they, they went through the line and they didn't have their phone with them. And so they were just talking to people and hanging out, went and ordered coffee, sat down. We had coffee, hung out for probably an hour, never had his phone. And so I asked him at the end, I was like, hey, did you, did you lose your phone or leave it? And he was like, oh no, I don't, I don't bring my phone into coffee shops. It's like, what? Can you do that? Like, that is revolutionary. Are you serious? He's like, yeah, I just, I like to, I like to be able to, to pay attention to what's going on. I like to people watch. I like to be connected. And it's like, man, that is, that is incredible. That is really, really cool. I had the chance to go to a World Series game. I told the church about this at first Wednesday. Um, I ended up standing in line for 12 hours and got tickets at face value, so it was awesome. We, they let us buy two, and so it was actually Dave Ramsey approved trip, and, um, and so, because we sold the other ones, but, um, and the, the Cubs won the, the World Series. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it was awesome. But point, point is this, about halfway through this 12-hour wait in line, my phone died. And it was like, after that happened, I learned so much about the people around me. There was a woman in line who had an incredible story, two people behind me. She had flown all the way from Australia with no money, just on the hopes that she might see, lifelong Cubs fan. She was like, I'm just, I'm just here. And she saw the line, jumped in, and was hoping that you know, maybe she could see a game. But she came because she was like, I'll just be around the stadium when they play. There was another single mom who had set up a GoFundMe account, which I thought about doing at times, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> in order to raise money, and so she came from Mesa, Arizona to see the cup. Just some cool stories, great people. We connected, and it was like, man, so often I just don't pay attention. I'm not, I don't notice what's going on. Maybe they were not paying attention because of their biases. You think about the priest. He had work to do, right? I mean, he's a man of the cloth. He had some ceremonies to be a part of, and had he gotten involved in this situation, maybe he gets blood on him. Maybe this man dies, and he becomes ceremonially unclean, which is a thing back then in the church. And, and so maybe he had some really reasonable things. It's like, man, I've got to do what's important. I've got to do church. I've got to pay attention to the things going on here that he, he missed actually what was on the heart of God. Maybe they were afraid. I mean, this guy's in bad shape, right? Like, what, what if these bad guys are still near? I mean, I could get hurt. I, this isn't safe. It wouldn't be reasonable to stop. I don't know what it was, but they weren't paying attention. And it scares me because I think we're in danger of doing the same thing. Pay attention, we have to pay attention. You know, we planted this church because we desperately wanted to be a church for people who, who didn't feel like they fit in at church, for people who felt like maybe they were even marginalized by the church. 28 years ago, we planted this church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. There were 22,000 people that lived in the town of Mount Pleasant. And yet there were a group of people who thought, man, there's enough people in this town that, that are far from God, that, that, that feel rejected by the church, that haven't heard the good news of Jesus, that we're gonna do whatever it takes to, to start something, to build a church for them. And you look around and it's like, man, it's amazing what God has done. This service, the last service especially, there were no seats. People were standing up in the balcony and sitting in the chapel, and it's just amazing. It, it'd be so easy, and the temptation is for us to be so consumed with what's happening inside of these walls that we're not paying attention to the people outside. 
Did you know there are 80,000 people that live in Mount Pleasant now? Some great churches in this town. But there are more people in this city that don't go to church today than there were when we planted this church. Is anyone paying attention to them? I know I drive by these developments and these neighborhoods that pop up and it's like, man, I, I pray to God that we can be a church that's accessible to the people who are moving here, who, who desperately need to know the Lord. Did you know that there's a heroin problem in our town? Mount Pleasant, yeah. Teenagers, crazy. Is anyone paying attention to that? Does anyone care? It haunts me to think there could be stuff going on in our city and, and we're so consumed with what's important to us that we're not paying attention to the needs of the community. If we're gonna change the data, we're gonna have to pay attention. We're, we're gonna have to be aware of what's going on. What, what's God calling you to pay attention to? Could be a person. Maybe it's that person that lives near you that's difficult. Maybe it never occurred to you that their story is a little bit harder than yours was. That maybe there's some blind spots, maybe they've gone through some things that have jaded them. Maybe God's positioned you right there to, to pay attention to that need, to show them what the love of Jesus looks like. If we're gonna change the data, which I believe we are, we're gonna have to pay attention to the needs. We, it doesn't stop there, though. It doesn't stop there. Third thought for us. We've paid attention to our blind spots, been aware of those, paid attention to the needs, but we've gotta get skin in the game. We have to get skin in the game. What does that mean? I, I actually didn't even know, but I looked it up last night. I just knew the phrase, but it, it means to sacrificially invest in something that might, might go well. We have to be invested. We have to care. Look at the story continues. We've got the two guys that should have helped but didn't. Well, then a despised Samaritan came along. Why was he despised? Well, the Samaritans were kind of a subsect of Jews at the time, and they were looked down upon by Jews because they, they came about because some Jews violated some of God's commands, and they intermarried with other religions, and, and that's sort of what, what became, that's a generalization, but that's the Samaritans, and so they were not very well liked. And maybe you're here today, and you don't feel like you fit in at church, or you don't know all the right words, you don't know the words of the song, and you're like, I don't know if I really belong, I don't know if I can really make a difference. That was the good guy in the story. So don't ever say, I don't know if I've got enough religious background or if I, you know, forget that. You, any one of us can be data changers if we'd be willing to be used by God and be willing to get skin in the game. So this guy, he saw the man and something important happened. He felt compassion for him. Something happened in his, in his heart. He felt compassion. And that compassion led him not to cross over on this side, but actually to cross over the street approach him, and the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Whose olive oil and wine did he use? His own, right? I mean, you would assume he, he used his own oil and his own wine. I don't know how far he planned on going with this injured person, but as he approached and got close to the need, he began to invest in that need, and, and then he began to help him. And then he put the man on his own donkey, so his own mode of transportation, and, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. Ends up spending a night with him. I imagine the Samaritan was on his way to do something that might have been important. He probably had a family to tend to. He probably had stuff going on, but he, he stopped, he saw a need, and he began to get invested in that need and get skin in the game. Now he spent a night at a hotel taking care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you 
the next time I'm here. Basically said, here's my credit card. Whatever you need to do to get this man well, I, I'm invested in his well-being. So he had, he had skin in the game. We have to not just notice needs, but we've got to be willing to be invested in them, to, to have skin in the game. Uh, what need has God maybe put on your heart? Maybe you've noticed it could be an injustice, could be a, an issue of poverty or a need of somebody around you that God's saying, hey, I want you to get skin in the game. It's not enough to have compassion. That's the starting point. But, but I want you to do something about that. I want you to step towards that need. You know, the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's a passage, if you don't understand it, think about the stock market. If, you, if you've invested in a stock, all of a sudden you care a lot about it, you're watching it, you're, you're, your heart gets engaged in it. Saying when you, when you put skin in the game, when you put your treasure somewhere, your heart's gonna go there too. When it comes to the needs, some of us, maybe God's calling you to start something. You know, there, there's, a, there's an injustice or there's a cause and God's just going, man, I want you to do it. I think about Emily Hoisington, an incredible college girl who as a freshman noticed some needs downtown Charleston and the, the schools down there. And so she, she got involved and eventually it became Charleston Hope and now she works full time at this nonprofit serving these incredible families downtown Charleston. God led her to start something. That's happened many times over here in the church. Some of us today, God's gonna go, I want you to do something about that. But maybe for most of us, we're not gonna start something, but maybe God's calling you to, to get involved in something. There's a lot of stuff that's already happening, a lot of great opportunities that you go, you know what, I could help with that. I could get involved with that. I, I love about this church, we don't always have to start the things. I think about Echo, a great organization here in the, in the Mount Pleasant area that's a food pantry. And we just, sometimes we, we, we'll do grocery bag weekends. And it's like, man, we can do something to get skin in the game to help some great causes that are going on. I think about the Dream Center, which is something that God called us to be a part of in North Charleston to start. This week, we're gonna, we're gonna serve thousands of meals up in the Dream Center on Thanksgiving Day. And you could be involved in that. You know, uh, the data was that we needed 400 and some turkeys. Uh, Brian Lewis, our men's pastor, is going, don't talk about turkeys. We don't need, the data's changed. Y'all have already covered that need. But what you can do is you can help us cook them uh, this week. We're gonna be here uh, throughout uh, Monday through Wednesday cooking turkeys, and, and you can come out and do that. Maybe what we do need is potatoes. We need some peanut oil. You can bring some of that. You can go to the store. It's like, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It doesn't, this story isn't the story of somebody starting a nonprofit. It's a story of somebody helping somebody in need. And we can all do that. We can all get skin in the game. You could show up on Thanksgiving morning and bring aside whatever you're making for the family. Make a little bit of extra. Drop it off at the Dream Center between seven and nine o'clock on, on Thursday morning on Thanksgiving. We can all do something to be a part of helping. But God's calling us not just to pay attention to the needs, but to get skin in the game. I wanna ask you to get skin in the game here at Seacoast. You know, we, we talked to the church earlier this year and, uh, maybe you've come since then, but you've probably seen stuff on our walls and the hallways, but, but God's called us not to just focus on the people in the walls, but to be a church that's gonna be available for people uh, who are, are moving into the city. The 80,000 people that are moving, we wanna be a church that's available, so we're gonna expand. We're not gonna stop where we are. We, we're calling it Imagine. We're gonna imagine the future together, and so we're gonna build a, a worship center that seats 2,500 people so that the, the new people that are moving in can, can know, yeah, this is a place where I can be a part of. This is a place where I can plug into. 
We're gonna turn this worship center into a, a student center and it's gonna be incredible. We're gonna see the next generation. The data is gonna change on the next generation. Saying not on our watch. We're gonna, we're gonna do something about that. But I wanna ask you to get skin in the game. I wanna give you a little update on what's happening with that. You may have noticed not a lot of construction happening yet. Uh, we've had some delays. Uh, it's been a little bit frustrating, it's okay, but I'm here to tell you today that uh, we have all the permits that we need to start the construction on the parking lot. Yay, God. So uh, maybe this week, I know it's Thanksgiving week, so it may not happen, but it'll at least be by the next week, we're gonna start construction on the parking lot. And we have the money that we need. We had two goals this year. We wanted to raise $4 million above our tithes and offerings to get started on the construction. We've got that, we've exceeded that goal, and so we're gonna start on the construction. Then we, we needed $8 million by the end of this year to start on the actual building to get going. And that's because we have a board of trustees that's helping us make financial decisions. And so we're committed not to start construction on the building until we have that $8 million in hand. Now the good news is the delays have pushed the deadline back. So it's probably gonna be about February. They're saying 70 to 90 days is how long it'll take to get the parking lot done. So it'll probably be February by the time the building is ready to be started. But we're about three and a half million dollars still short of the eight million that we need to start that building. That's the not as good of a news. And, and I'm gonna ask you to get skin in the game, to be a part of that, to say, you know, what can I do to be a part of us reaching this community and reaching the next generation for Christ? And everybody's different. I mean, everybody, some people are gonna go, you know what, I could do 50 bucks beyond what I normally give, or I could do 500 bucks or 5,000. Some people can do 500,000. That's out of my league, but you know what, some people, can, we can all do different stuff. But all of us, can have skin in the game, and if we do, I think we're gonna see God do something incredible. And so December 17th and 18th, can you say that with me? December 17th and 18th, we're gonna witness God do a miracle this, that, that weekend. Greg's gonna preach, and we're gonna do a, an end of year offering uh, for the Imagine campaign to, to see what God does. And I'm just believing that God's gonna do something cool. Some of you are already thinking, you know, I'm not sure, I know I wanna do an end of year gift somewhere. I would just ask you and invite you to be a part of what we're doing here and to do that here. You can get more information. There's a website called imaginesecoast.org that talks more about the building and talks more about what we're doing. But, but I'm asking you to get skin in the game with that, to be a part of something incredible, something that none of us can do on our own, but together we could see God do, do some miracles. So back to the story. Gotta be aware of my own blind spots, pay attention to the needs around us, get skin in the game. The last thought, the end of the story, kind of as we close, if I'm gonna change the data in my community, I gotta start today. Start today. The story kind of finishes. Jesus tells this story and he, he, he turns back to the expert and he says, now which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Pretty revolutionary story. Nobody would have thought the Samaritan was gonna be the hero in this story. Jesus says, who's the expert now, man? <laughs> and so the guy says, yeah, I guess the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yep, now go do the same. He didn't preach a message. Frankly, this story doesn't really need a whole lot of preaching with it. It's pretty, pretty clear. He says, just go do that too. You wanna make a difference? You wanna talk about heaven? Bring heaven to earth for somebody. Show somebody the heart of God. Start now, your move. Go, do the same. I don't know what God's 
maybe put on your heart, something he's caused you to be aware of, pay attention to. But I'd encourage you, don't leave here without starting. Do something. We can all do something. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you're gonna do is during response time today, you're gonna go buy some potatoes and bring them back here because you just wanna be a part. You wanna do so. You wanna get skin in the game. Start today. You know, uh, we have a, a saying around here because even with our team, staff team, and, and uh, dream team of great volunteers, it can be overwhelming. Like, what do I do? How do I start? Well, you know, of course, we wanna develop leaders and invest in leaders, but one of the things we say all the time around here is do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for, don't get jaded by the crowds or by the numbers or by the great need. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Elisa and I were having a date night last week and we ate at a new restaurant. It was awesome. Great new restaurant. Um, and uh, I'm not gonna tell you what it is because we could have this, the sermon sponsored by restaurants. That would be a cool idea, but we're not, we're not gonna do that. But we ate at a good restaurant. We were walking back to the car in downtown Charleston and, and I opened her door, she got in the car and closed it, and a guy walked up to me, and I, I could kinda tell he was gonna ask me for money. And, and I'll just be honest, sometimes my initial reaction isn't the best in those situations. So I was thinking, oh gosh, what's, you know, how do I get out of this conversation? And, and he, he said, hey, sir, do you have, do you have a second? Can I, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, well, what do you need? And he said, well, I've got this bag of cleaning supplies, and I'm not asking you for a handout, but if you'd let me, I'd love to wash the tires on your car, or maybe I could do the windshield or wash your car. I just I, you know, I'm in a kind of a rough, rough spot right now and I'd love to, to serve you in some way so that you would maybe give me some money. And as he was talking to me, I began to have compassion for him. I said, man, I, I began to feel something for this guy. Now, conveniently, I don't ever carry cash with me. Uh, it's kind of a convenient excuse in moments like this to go, hey, I'd oh, I wish I could, but I can't without lying. And I didn't have any cash, but I, I was like, man, I wanna do something for you. I wanna help you. And so I, Went back to the car, I was like, Lisa, can you look through your purse, what do we have? And she happened to have some, some money, so I was like, man, I, I just wanna, I wanna give you some money, I wanna pray for you, can I, can I do that? And he said, yeah, it's great. And then as I was leaving, he, he was like, hey, what's in that bag? I had the leftovers from uh, the great meal that I had. And I was like, no, man, no, 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 no. I just gave you money, I just, you are not, this is, no. But, God got a hold of my heart and I gave him the food. I was like, eat it while it's hot, it's so good. Told him the name of the restaurant. I was at a hangout there uh, and grab, grab some leftovers. It was, it was good food. But, um, but, but I got back to the car and I don't tell you that story to say, hey, yay, Josh, you gave a, you know, some money. You know, any of us can do that. It's no big deal what I did to me. But I want you to know, according to Jesus, it is a big deal. When we do that, when we help, when we see a need and we go, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do the right thing. Jesus didn't tell a story about a movement that was started. He, he's told a story about a person who was in need and was helped. Let's start today. Let's help the people around us. Go back to that first question I asked you. Do you ever wonder if you can really make a difference? You know, for any one of us, that can be a pretty sobering question. But you know what's cool? It's when all of us do our part and, and you kind of see somebody over here says, I'll do my part, and somebody over here does their part. You see a church rise up, and you see a church change the data in a community. See, together, we can make a really big difference. We could do some really cool things together. I'm reminded of about 10 years ago when we saw that the city of North Charleston was the seventh most dangerous city per capita in America. It's like, man, I can't do anything about that. 
Pastor Greg, he can't change that. But you know what? When one person says, yeah, I could, I could go serve at Adopt-A-Blocker. One person says, I've got some medical background. I could maybe serve in a clinic and I could bring some food to a Thanksgiving outreach and I could maybe mentor a child and you know, fast forward 10 years and friends, the data has changed. North Charleston's not on that list anymore. And I'm not saying it's all Seacoast, it's not. It's everybody doing their part. We presented a foster care need to you a couple of years ago and it's like, man, we don't know how to solve this exactly, but there's, there's an issue that we just wanna pay attention to and, and I don't know that we can solve it alone, but you know what, now one family after another family after another family, I think it's 55, 58 families now have been licensed to be foster care parents and we've seen about 10% of those foster kids get pulled into homes just from people out of this community. It's like, you know what, we haven't fixed the problem yet, but we're changing the data. It's moving in the right direction. That's what God's called us to do. Let's be a church that changes the data. Because you know what? Changing the data really means we're changing the story for somebody. And when you change a story, it can change generations. Let's be data changers. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for your word. God, just reading this story, Jesus, that you told, just makes me proud to be a follower of, of Christ. Lord, would we be a church? Help us be a church that would reflect your heart towards our city, that would reflect your heart towards the people who are hurting. I pray, God, that you would birth new vision today. Lord, that in, in some cases, you may start something brand new that's gonna change the data in our city in various areas of our lives. But for all of us, God, I just pray that you would stir up in our hearts to do our part, to be a part of changing the story for somebody, that you would cause us to maybe even this week interact with somebody or cross a path with somebody that, that, that would catch our attention, that we'd be moved with compassion, and that we would step in and be a part of the solution. Lord, we're th thankful for you, thankful for what you're doing, thankful that it's not by might or power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. Do you lead us by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.